Welcome to Careers Unwrapped, where we delve into real-life career stories from successful people who've been through it all, the ups and the downs. We'll get their raw, honest, actionable advice and be the careers talk they wish they'd had when they started out. As someone who has had a varied career, from soldier to salesman, expedition leader to entrepreneur, he knows firsthand that your career doesn't always lead you where you expect it to. Here's your host, Mark Fawcett. So hello and welcome to Careers Unwrapped. I'm your host, Mark Fawcett, and with me today is Phil Edgar-Jones. Now, Phil is Director of Sky Arts. He's Head of Entertainment at Sky. He's responsible for the overall strategy of the Sky Arts channel and also entertainment commissions on Sky One. And over his extensive television career, he's worked on popular programs, hugely popular programs such as a League of Their Own, The Russell Howard Show, Big Brother, Big Breakfast, and The Word, to name just a few. Earlier this year, Phil was awarded an OBE for his services to arts and television. So hopefully Phil's going to be talking honestly about his career, his highs and his lows, and as well as that offering perhaps some thoughts and inspiration, maybe even some reassurance for those of you steering through your own career journeys. So Phil, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting for, for us to know, first of all, sort of starting almost with today or this week, what actually a day in your working life is like? What's in your inbox for the week ahead? Gosh, well, actually, I'm in a very lucky position in a way, if you're like me, <laughs> is that every day is different at, in my job. No two days are the same. There's different. So obviously, we're doing lots of different programs, whether they're arts programs or our comedy entertainment programs we do for Sky Max. So next week, for example, I'll be in the studio one day watching a recording of a new show we're doing with Rob Beckett, which is a comedy show for, for Sky Max. I'll also be viewing a couple of shows we're doing, one with the London Philharmonic Orchestra and one that's about bagpipes for Sky Max. I'll also be uh, fielding pitches from people. We get a lot of ideas sent in from independent producers or uh, often from artists or, or arts organizations. So we're very mindful that we need to consider those ideas, get back to people really quickly. And a lot of my time is spent doing sort of communicating our strategy and our sort of requirements for the channels because we've got a very sort of focused way of working and it's, it's really useful for producers or independents or creatives or talent to understand what we want and what we don't want so they can therefore be sort of enabled to pitch effectively to us and not waste their time. I mean, I'd say 95% of the ideas we get, we can't do. So they are either aren't right or we don't have capacity for them. So there's quite a lot of sifting to do. So what are you looking for in the maybe 5% that could be right for you? So very clear. So on Sky Max, which it used to be called Sky One, it's now called Sky Max, we are the entertainment genre. So we pretty much focus on big name comic talent doing funny stuff, whether that's panel shows or travelogue shows like Robin Romish meets or League of Their Own, like you mentioned, never mind the Buzzcocks, things like that. And then big event pieces with talent with a unique skill or those kind of more facts and so funny factual programs as well we do for Sky Max. And on Sky Arts, obviously we're looking at all the different art genres and trying to find ways of doing television in much more creative ways. So we're either, that could, we could involve doing documentaries about 
literary subjects. We have our biggest program is Portrait Artists of the Year or Landscape Artists of the Year. So those participatory programs, we look to have about four of those a year. And then the rest of the time, we want to work directly with artists or arts institutions to create some big, I guess, for want of a better expression, noisy, PRable ideas that get us off the arts pages and newspapers and onto the front pages. That's, that's what we try to do. One of the things you did with Sky Arts when around the time of COVID and the lockdowns is you took Sky Arts from being behind the Sky customer paywall and made it free to air for everybody. Has that changed at all what you're then looking for when you're commissioning new programming? No, taking the channel free to air wasn't really about changing what we did in terms of content. It was really, we did a lot of research about the, the sort of purpose and use of Sky Arts, both for the company at Sky, because it's got to be useful in the corporate environment and in the broader arts and cultural world. Why did we exist? <laughs> what were we for? And there's three things that came out of that. You know, the idea of making the arts more accessible is one thing. Now, for me, that didn't mean making programs that were necessarily, I guess, more populist. What it meant was getting the channel to more people. And the way to do that was to take it free to air. And so Sky as a company really supported that idea and understood the value of it in the creative community. And also, truthfully, you know, a, a big company doesn't just do things entirely altruistically. There has to be some payback. So it does a great job, Sky Arts, of driving trust and reputational value for the overall Sky brand. And that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons we exist. And then part of the other thing that we do is we're kind of nursery slope for talent. So we're kind of mindful that theater writers will then hopefully at some point maybe write for television and actors will grow up in the theater and write for television. You know, that we have a sort of fundamental role in helping support the creative sector because it's valuable. And also, you know, skills beyond just these, I suppose, the on-stage skills, if you like, that there's the skills around all the jobs that you have in the arts, whether that's you know, I always say to people, if you're going to be a work in accountancy, why not come and be a production accountant on a TV show or an arts project? Because it's, it's dead glamorous. You might just about meet Tom Cruise or something. Yeah, my wife's uncle many years ago, who was an accountant by trade, ended up being an accountant on the production of the Yellow Submarine movie with the Beatles. So he was an accountant, but he chose to take his accountancy in a certain direction. But, but leaving aside the accountants who once to join your sector and, and work creatively. The way you're commissioning, obviously, it helps if you've got some experience and you've got a track record and you know what you're doing. So how do people sort of cross that first barrier and turn themselves into someone you will listen to rather than just a complete beginner with ideas but no track record or traction? Yeah, God, you know, that's so difficult. I never forget being there myself in the very start of, trying to get a job in media. I sort of think in a way there are more opportunities now than there when I was starting out. So when I was starting out, we didn't have YouTube, we didn't have TikTok, we didn't have ways of creating our own content and having it or getting it to an audience. When I was starting out in TV, there was hardly any independent TV production companies. You know, I, I remember sending letters off to the BBC and STV because I was up in Scotland and all these places. You could never work at the BBC unless you'd been to Oxford or Cambridge. And I really much, very much a sort of closed shop. So I came to London and I worked in magazines for a while and then did a bit of running on titles, sequence of the word, 
my girlfriend at the time was working TV, so we started to know people who were, had jobs in telly. And I got an audition to be a presenter and then did that for a while, spectacularly failed at that, and then managed to get a job as an AP on The Big Breakfast. But I don't know anybody in TV who's had exactly the same route through it. It's very difficult without a track record of having made stuff to get something away just as an individual. We generally need to have some production infrastructure behind it idea, something that we trust. Because it's all very well having an idea. You also have to realize the idea. And so oftentimes we'll get pitched an idea that we really love. And then we'll say, actually, we love this idea, but you need to go and hook up with these people and they'll help you make it. We do do that. It's slightly sort of inexperienced. But I slightly lost my train of thought, but thought about something else. The roots in are tricky. There's obviously a point for a lot of people through their many different routes where they feel actually I have now arrived and I've got my second job or I now know some people and I have a bit of a track record. The tricky piece is obviously getting to that point. Well, it's getting that first running job, I think. That's the thing. So I started off making the tea and getting the donuts and I'm being curious and asking questions. And then you sort of meet a cohort of people who then are your peers who then take you on to the next job. It's a largely freelance industry, which is a blessing and a curse for many people. But you get taken on to your next job. And then if you're good enough, and it's, it can be pretty brutal, TV, you know, it doesn't carry passengers. If you're good enough, somebody will recommend you take you on to your next job, take you on to the next job. And then you sort of hopefully move up the tree or find the thing that you love doing and stick to doing that. And that's the traditional route, really, is start making the tea and doing the photocopying. And you mentioned that you had done a bit of presenting yourself. And I had heard that. And I looked and looked for any recordings of this. Does it exist anymore? You will never find it, Mark. I did a show called Movie Watch uh, with Johnny Vaughn. He has all the tapes, actually. He owns all the tapes. I, I met him for lunch recently, and he was telling me about it. I did one series of that. and I didn't even get fired. I just didn't even get asked back. So bad at it. I had to do interviews with uh, film stars and stuff. And then I got a job on a Sky show. This is how long ago this is called Games World Live. It was a live show with kids playing video games, right? Using, I was on an outside broadcast presenting there. And there was a guy called Jeremy Daldry in the studio presenting there. And people would phone in to play video games versus the people on the outside broadcast, if that's making sense. You'd play the games using touchtone telephone technology. Now, for those of you, I've never used a dial-up phone, which will be most people watching this. It was basically you'd press seven on a phone that was connected to a landline, seven forward for back, up and down, and play like Super Mario or whatever. Anyway, I also didn't get back to do that show. So one thing to take out of that, you tried different angles and different routes. Some didn't work out, but you kept going. And I think it is clear in getting into some of these more competitive career routes where people have an idea that they want to be there, like television, for example, that you've got to keep pushing because it's not going to be necessarily easy in the first few years. And you mentioned one of the early shows you joined, The Word. That was almost in, in sort of pirate-like days of TV. What, what was that like in that environment? What did you get out of it? What did you learn as well that you took taken forward to now? So it was Big Breakfast and The Word were both made by the same company called Planet 24. It doesn't exist anymore. And that was, I sort of joined, started there as an AP on the Big Breakfast. And that was doing little VT items to play into the show called Snap, Cackle and Pop. And you'd make little things about movies or you'd make segments about television or you'd make little segments about music. 
And the word was happening at the same time. And I got moved on to the word to do to be a producer director. So I'd make again little short films, little tiny three minute documentaries, if you like, for the word. And it was a, kind of the wild west of television. So there was no training, for example. There was very low budgets and small teams. So in a way, what was brilliant about it was that you could sort of fail creatively, if you like. So because it, you were churning out stuff every single day on Big Breakfast, right? Not everything had to work. And you learned really quickly what did and what didn't. And it was quite unforgiving in many ways because you got really, let's say, uh, brutally honest feedback about when your ideas didn't work. And it was could be pretty unforgiving. You weren't, because it was so fast, nobody had time to sit back and stroke their chins and sort of consider things. So what you had to do, so that was good. You could build up a kind of almost like a catalog of failure and success and start to understand and learn your craft on the job. I suppose the sort of downside of that though, gosh, I keep losing my train of thought. I was going to say something really clever there and I've completely lost well, it's about failing creatively, you were talking about, learning from what works and what doesn't. Yeah, but learning from what works and failing creatively, but also, actually, and I think this is something that is key, is you have to be quite resilient. And so the building up that resilience is really important. And that's part of this process of failure and part of the process of feedback. Honestly, understanding that not everybody you work with always is going to be nice to you. You know, and I think it's a lot better now, television, than when I was in it, be quite yeah, I suppose quite a toxic environment often, but and I'm thank God it's not like that anymore. But you still have to, I think, build up some resilience and along the way. I can imagine that some of the brutal feedback you were given back then, not only would you not want to give it in that way today, you probably even wouldn't be allowed to give it in that way today. No, I think one of the things I learned from that is actually I think how not to manage people. The other thing that you don't get in television is management training. So oftentimes people will be really brilliant program makers, really creative people who can move up the chain of command, if you like, but without having sort of spent time on the people skills bit of it. So I think one of the things I took away from my time there was I very clearly remember being balled out about an idea in front of the whole entire team and it being quite humiliating and thinking, you know what? I'm never going to do that to anybody. If I've got criticism, it will be in private. If I'm going to praise people, it will be public. So I've stuck to that I think, all my career. Because you need to give people feedback. Of course you do. You know, and people should want feedback because we don't always do everything well all the time. But to do it in a way that kind of belittles people is really unhelpful. So after the word and Big Breakfast, you then started with a program because they've obviously passed and gone on now, but you started with a program that is again having another lease of life in terms of Big Brother. How did that go from being an idea to actually first launching as a program? So I did a couple of things in between Big Breakfast and Big Brother. And then Big Brother, I didn't join to the second season of that. But Big Brother was a Dutch format. So by, from a company called Endemol. And it had launched in Holland and sort of set the Dutch telly on fire. And it was that moment when, and I think all the UK channels wanted to have a look at it. And then it kind of, Channel 4 was the logical place for it to live here in the UK. But it was one of those things that 
if you look back to that time, it's 1999 we're talking about when it, Big Brother first came on air. And there, was a, there were other reality shows around at the time. There was a thing called The Villa on Sky. There was a, a program called The Real World on MTV, which is really the precursor of all the reality shows. Anyway, Big Brother was that moment when you had a good idea. You had the technology available to make it with all the remote cameras. And it was the kind of coincided with the very birth of the internet. So if everyone, if you remember the nasty Nick moment where everyone crowded around watching streaming of Craig confronting Nick about writing notes and effectively cheating on the program, that was a kind of, I suppose, a defining moment for the program, but also a defining moment, I think, also for the internet. And it's led to the whole idea of streaming and everything else. You can sort of trace it back to that point. It wasn't the only thing doing it, but it was the thing that I think captured the imagination at the time. So that is the the sort of genesis of that program. And again, it was one of these big, amazing programs where lots of people worked in it and you could try out lots of ideas. These sort of shows don't exist so much anymore. Try out loads of ideas with tasks and tests and all the rest of it and fail and fail better along the way. Now, I take from that, are you not allowed to be as much of a risk taker now as perhaps you and your colleagues were able to be back then? I think within the context, I think, Possibly not. I think for me, I'm quite really lucky. Sky Arts, we can actually take some quite, we can do stuff that's pretty bold and risky and we don't worry about being a high rater and stuff. There are different pressures in different places. So when I'm commissioning stuff for Sky Max, I'm serving a different audience. So we're looking at, there's no sense in us doing programs that we think our customers will not like. Why would we do that? So, and there's risk inherent in every commission and every idea not everything's going to work. And there's a pretty high failure rate in television anyway. But on Sky Arts, we can do really mad things like give an artist, we gave Marina Abramovich, the artist, five hours of the channel just to do what she wanted with it and use it as her kind of canvas. And that's a pretty risky thing to do. And actually, it allows you to do sort of find other routes into how to do telly, which is something I'm very curious about, trying to extract the cliches from television all the time. But I think a lot of the risk-taking there and a lot of the real bold stuff is actually happening on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and all these sorts of places where people can make content and there are fewer gatekeepers to stop them doing it. Fewer people like me <laughs> to say, no, program prevention, how can I unhelp you? And I think that actually leads me on quite nicely to a question that we've been sent in by one of our younger career starters in relation to your work is that You've obviously worked through an explosion in channels, in platforms and choices. And so how has that changed the skills and the roles in the industry? Oh, gosh, there's been huge changes. So these new roles were invented through reality TV because you had to find ways of you know, making the shows that weren't, didn't exist before. So there was, for example, just to give you one example, there was no such thing as an edit producer when I was starting out telly. So an edit producer is not quite an editor and not quite a producer, they're a bit of both. They're sitting with an editor making the show. The editor always used to be completely kind of separate in a way. Yeah, and actually I think actually one of the other things I think is brilliant is that when I started in TV, if you did comedy or you didn't do comedy, you weren't allowed to do comedy if you'd never done comedy before. If you hadn't done documentaries, you weren't allowed to do documentaries if you hadn't done documentaries before. Scripted similarly, whatever. I think people can cross over now a little bit more. You know, I came from doing reality TV to doing arts TV. Now, when I first took over the arts job, 
there was a bit of like, really? This big brother guy, he can see in the arts? I don't think so. But it's fine. It's telly. You know, we're making content about a subject. So I think um, that's one of the most positive things I've seen is that I don't think people are quite as, you know, siloed into different roles and not allowed to escape them, if that makes sense. And so if you're, imagine talking to a room from a people perhaps in their in their 20s and they know they want to be part of making television programs of making programs people want to watch what advice might you offer to them on how to get started on how to get those balls moving get that momentum going so that they can build up a, enough credibility they'll be on for jobs at sky jobs in other production places as well I mean, I think, again, I don't think there's any one way of doing this. I mean, you could be, if you're able to make your own content that sits on social media platforms and that pops, that's one way to get noticed. So you've got a kind of portfolio of stuff you can send to production companies or broadcasters. Always be on the lookout for any schemes that are going on. There are entry-level schemes that all the broadcasters do and many of the bigger production companies do. So I think the other thing is, be quite focused and targeted. So if you're really into drama, there's no sense in going to a company that makes um, features, you know, that makes cash in the attic, you know, go to a drama company. But if you're interested in making non-scripted programming, just look at the production companies that are making it stuff. Look at the people that are making your favorite stuff. Email them. And actually, oftentimes, people are super flattered to be asked for a cup of tea and, and wang on about their career which is what I'm doing now. So actually looking for advice, I think, is always kind of important. But, you know, and actually, I think if you're going to pitch an idea also to a broadcaster, and you're very welcome to do it, it's really important that you look at what that broadcaster does and the kinds of tone of voice it has, the kind of programs they maybe don't do. So there's no sense, for example, in pitching me a game show, which don't do them. And if you look at Sky Max, you won't see them sort of thinking I'm going to pitch my game show to Sky Max you're already onto a losing ticket really and we won't take you seriously because you don't you haven't looked at the channel so I think doing your research and being having a bit of knowledge about where you're headed and why you're going to that specific person is really important now when people will who know you will look at what you do who will listen to this and they'll see director of entertainment director of Sky Arts and all the other people they'll think success 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 but as you said earlier, that it doesn't always work out that way. Um, perhaps it would be useful and interesting, actually. You know, what are failure steps along the way? What are the things that blew up in your face that didn't work well that you're prepared to share, but that you actually then use that as part of your learning? So Big Brother started with, on Channel 4. It stopped in, what's it, 2010, I think it was. And uh, to me, it was quite a relief, to be honest. I'd done it for 10 years, and I just left the company I was working with. Should have stayed on, claimed redundancy, wherever. But anyway, I didn't do that. And I did spend about a year just floundering and didn't was directionless. And I had meant to take a bit of time and step back. But I got offered a job in America on a program, which I, even at the time, I thought, why am I doing this? It was, I got my head turned a little bit by the glamour of Hollywood, right? So I went to America, did a show called Dancing, Skating with the Stars, which is a offshoot of... Dancing with the Stars, which is uh, their version of Strictly Come Dancing. Not the kind of program I've ever made before. Not the kind of program I like. So I didn't really understand how to make it. 
it wasn't very well resourced. It was all crewed up before I got there. It's an entirely different culture, not one that suited me at all. I was really terrible at it, just terrible. It just wasn't for me. And I kind of realized that as soon as I got there. And we did the first episode of that, and I wasn't very good. And I got fired, like, immediately sent home. So from being the big cheese, big sort of uh, big I am at Big Brother to that wasn't great. And then I sort of compounded this failure by setting up a production company with somebody again. Actually, in fairness, we had a bit of success. We got a few comedy shows away, comedy entertainment shows away. But it just wasn't, again, it wasn't my bag. And I didn't, it was just pretty miserable. And that we were failing at programs. I just spent a lot of time floundering about for this entire year, not really finding my place. And I was about to quit TV. In fact, my wife and I, I got as far as looking at and seriously considering buying an ice cream shop in Whitstable. I was all over the place at this time. And then I got an interview for the Sky job and got the job. And that kind of, I guess, saved my career at that time. But I just, there are points, because in the creative industries, you do take a, I think when you're younger, you can take more risks and it'd be when you've got responsibilities and a mortgage and a family and all that rest of it, it's harder to take risks with your career. And I did that at the wrong time in, in my life and it didn't work out. Just none of it worked. And it was just going from one thing, not working out to the other. And at the time it was, you know, I didn't know what, what to do, but obviously in retrospect, I landed in the right place. It was really good. And actually that taught me a huge lesson about uh, resilience again, coming back to that. You can get through these things and also kind of understanding yourself and your strengths and your weaknesses and where you shouldn't be. So I think I'd, I'm not the type of person that can run a TV production company. I'm not the type of person that can run a big shiny floor show because I don't like them. So it's these are little lessons. But I think as you go through life, trying to step back from yourself a little bit and check in on yourself it's not quite mindfulness. It's almost like stepping outside yourself and giving yourself an, a very honest assessment of your strengths and weaknesses. So over the years, I've come to really understand what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and be honest about what I'm not good at so that when I have a team of people that I work with, I know I've got people who do things that I simply will not. I'm very disorganized, for example, hugely chaotic and disorganized on the spectrum ADHD. So it's um, I absolutely need people to work with who can, you know, who could organize a production because I just couldn't do it. So I hopefully have learned all my lessons now. I won't repeat some of those mistakes. And on the subject of people then, because obviously now you're in a position of both being a leader and a manager of other people. And aside from their technical skills to make television programs, what do you look for in the people, in, in the person, in the character? Is there something that you're always on the lookout for? Absolutely. So I think there's quite a lot. Also, you don't want everybody to be the same in a team around you. You want people that have got different viewpoints and different skills and different cultural backgrounds so that you bring something different to it. But I think some of the key things that are universal would be ability to collaborate. Empathy, I think, is hugely important. You know, when my team are working with a wide variety of people, you know, whether they're producers, uh, on-screen talent, production executives who sort of hold the money, just having those kind of understanding other people, you know, the kinds of issues and problems that other people might be facing and being able to respond to them in an empathetic way, I think is really hugely important. 
that's part of the whole idea around collaboration. Obviously, in our line of work, we want people who've got imagination and creativity and you know, our job and understanding our role is really important. Our role as commissioners is to obviously mine the world for good ideas, but also poke and provoke and hopefully push people to make more interesting creative choices so we don't make the same thing over and over again. And I think the other thing is actually a work ethic really important, you know, and sometimes along the way, you've got to do some of the crappy bits as well as all the good bits. It's not always going to be wonderful. So um, sort of resilience is really important for me as well. I think I found that interesting because whatever skills and experience talents we're having that have now, I think I've learned far more along my own journey from the mistakes I've made than from the successes. And whether that's just me or whether I'm conscious of doing that, I can look back at many times in different career routes and go, I didn't do that well, or I didn't like what I saw there. And those lessons have stayed with me. Whereas success, you sort of move on from quickly because great, that worked. So what more can I learn from that? I'm fascinated at a slight tangent by the ice cream shop. And of all of the things that might have been what you moved to, is there a hidden passion for ice cream or Whitstable? Is that something that was always there? No, I'm not particularly interested in ice cream. I would hate to run a shop. I'd be rubbish at it. Whitstable's nice. I think I was just like, nah, I'm done with telly. I also, do you know what? It's funny. It's a fickle business. So at that point now, look, I'm a commissioning editor. I've got some power, right? People laugh at my jokes. I get emails. People like pretend to like me. At that point, I was like, felt like I was like, I'd gone from that to just nobody was interested. Nobody would return my calls. Whether that was me exaggerating it in my own head a little bit, but I thought, you know, I'm done with telly. It's not for me anymore. So I think I just was looking for things everywhere else. And that was, oh, that could work. It was a nice day. So oh, it's hot today, ice cream by the seaside. Sounds good. That could have been a whole different careers unwrapped program about retail and ice cream as, as we talk to talk to Phil about his emporium of ice creams around around South and Southeast England. And now just looking ahead, is there still things that you want to tick off, things you want to achieve that you haven't done yet? No, I think well for me the where I get most satisfaction now is do you know what? The thing I get most satisfaction about is absolutely is people come up to me and say, "Look, you gave me my first job, and now now look at me. I love that." You know, so I feel like I'm kind of, in a way, my next bit of my career should be the grand old uncle of telly, <laughs> helping the next generation come through and nurturing new talent and nurturing new ideas. That's where I get most satisfaction now. So if we feel, and the great thing about Sky Arts is we can do great. We can do really helpful things for artists. We can create bursary schemes. We can look little bits of funding. We can kickstart careers. And watching that happen, watching people flourish is wonderful. I love that. So that's where I'm at at the moment. You know, I've done the biggest show on telly at the time. Where do you go from there? That was, I remember being on the tube doing Big Brother one year. Every single person on that, on my tube carriage was reading something about Big Brother. I, I was looking at them all the Heat magazine, they had the Sun, they had whatever. I think, Jesus, this is, huge because you're when you're making the show you're in your wee bubble doing it oh this is huge and then i got to marks and spencer's where near where i live and i was buying some groceries and there's people stacking wine and they were talking about kate and jade it's just the people just talking about it where I, so 
if I'm going to do the biggest thing, I've done the biggest show on telly. I don't need to do that again. Now I need to help the next people get to their biggest thing and reinvent the next big thing that comes along. That's what I'd love to do. And motivations do definitely change as you move forward in your career. And at the beginning, it may be, you know, the motivation is the job with profile, is the line on the CV, is the salary level. And as I did start my own business or as you did go freelance, the motivation at periods of time during that is feeding the family, having a roof over your head, and then being able to have a bit of something spare cash after that. And then, as you say, motivation becomes very becomes very family orientated. It becomes, but as you feel more established, comfortable, confident, that motivation from seeing people that you hired in the first place get promoted or even leave what you're doing and then see them succeeding in somewhere else and, and even coming back to do something else here. It is definitely something I find hugely satisfying and motivating now and is completely different from what my motivations were 10 years ago or when I started out. But I think you go from being me, 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 me to going you, you, you. I think that's what, that's with a few things in between. Hopefully. In terms of the process now within, just going back to Sky for a moment, and, and also I think if I'm right, you're a governor of one of the major film and television schools as well. So I'm a governor at National Film and Television School, also on the board of governors for the English National Opera. So what is the wider creative industry overall doing now, you think, to help people get in? You mentioned earlier that when you started out that perhaps the BBC was quite Oxford-Cambridge focused. Do you see the industry on a wider level now trying to help build a more diverse wider skilled workforce? Are they actively trying to do that? What are you doing at Sky, perhaps, to do that as well? Yeah, definitely. So the drive towards more, a more inclusive and diverse workforce is, is front and center, I think, of everybody's minds. I can certainly speak more specifically to what Sky do. You know, we have, for example, we were kind of mindful that our commissioning teams weren't particularly diverse. So we've created roles now in the commissioning teams to get different voices in there from different a variety of different backgrounds. We make active moves. We have targets to hit in terms of kind of the on and off screen workforce. So at least 20% of our senior leaders need to be from diverse backgrounds. We have sort of doing looking at our commissioning strategies and making quite big strides to work with not the usual suspects in these wise because there's always a danger you kind of, you know, people that are really good are going to keep getting the jobs and that's fine because they're really good, but you need to find other ways of working with people that you don't normally work with. And we do that a lot on Sky Arts and we're making inroads and doing a lot of work because uh, we commission a lot less on Sky Max to make sure we have avenues for people to, you know, nursery slope places for people to sort of work up through onto the sort of bigger channels. And I think that there is a bit of a, at the time we were speaking, there was a bit of a commissioning slowdown across the board on television. So a lot of the channels aren't commissioning nearly as much as they used to commission. And I think for us, it's keeping up our commissioning pipeline, our development pipeline to the levels that we were before so that we're supporting that freelance community to have jobs available. And that's, the, for me, the biggest thing we can do. Phil, I think we've covered so much in such a short space of time, and you clearly have also in this mentioned there are many routes in people need to if they want to get into the world television they need to explore those routes 
and find them. They obviously need to make an effort to meet people as well. But I think I was struck in particular by some of the pieces you mentioned about what you've learned along the way, what you learned about leadership, especially about praising in public, but criticizing privately. You spoke about resilience clearly, and it's a tough industry at times, so you need that, but also about failing creatively and being curious. And I think that on listening to all of those strike me as as really useful, actually interesting messages to take away for anyone thinking that that is the work I want to do. I want to make great television. I think one thing I'd, two things actually I'd love to wrap up on. One is just because of the world you work in, that when they make the TV program about your life, who should be playing you in it, Phil? And my last question, Phil, is we want to keep passing this baton of careers experience along. So can you perhaps name one person who you think would be great to get on the show, who, if we can unwrap their career, would be really useful and interesting to people starting out on theirs? I think I'm going to suggest somebody called Louise Jeffries, who doesn't work in television, but for many years was artistic director at the Barbican. And she's a really brilliant mind. She's a brilliant manager. And she's really sort of creative. She's kind of, I feel, one of these unsung heroes of the arts. She's just a really interesting woman. And I think you'd have an interesting time talking to her about her career up through the arts specifically. I'm also going to suggest somebody else as well. There's a guy called, uh, a brilliant man called Charles Hazelwood, who's a classical music conductor. And he runs an orchestra called the Para Orchestra. He's just got the most amazing mind. You would have a, you'd probably have to sit here for two hours talking to him. He's an incredible man. So Charles Hazel is another one. Louise and Charles. Brilliant. Thank you. So from failed presenter, for which no records apparently exist, through the giants of sort of Big Brother and now onto Sky Arts, it's obviously been an incredible journey and hopefully still has a long way to run. And Phil, thank you very much for joining us for Unwrapping Your Career. It's been great talking with you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You do a grand job. This podcast is sponsored by We Are Futures. To find out more about We Are Futures and how we can introduce your brand, business or organisation to the mass markets of tomorrow, visit www.wearefutures.com. Make sure to search for Careers Unwrapped in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Remember to click subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at We Are Futures, thanks for listening.